So yeah, so I got the uh, phone call from Jim about noon yesterday. <laughs> is there any way you could teach? So that was. Uh, so this is hastily prepared. I'm just kidding. Um, so I was a senior in high school. It was my senior year, and uh, many moons ago. And I went to FCA. I went to Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I was a kid, or when I was you know in high school. And we had John Bramlett, the bull. Most people know him from Memphis here. And uh, he spoke this Friday morning when, uh, when I went to the FCA group. And great, impactful. You know, he had videos going of the hits he made. I mean, pretty, pretty amazing guy. And um, I, I went back to school that day. And um, the teacher at the end of the day, the end of the class, was the liaison, the teacher, the faculty liaison with FCA. And I went up to him, so it's, you know, 3 o'clock Friday afternoon. I just said, hey, uh, Coach so-and-so, I really appreciate your getting John Bramlett to come and speak. And the next question, the next words out of his mouth changed my life forever. And he said, Carr, do you know the Lord? And I said, well, I hope I do. I think I do. Um, but so he, he asked, he said, he said, Carr, how would you feel about, you know, getting together during free period sometimes, and reading the Word with me. So, you know, this is pre-kind of pedophile age, so uh, I wasn't extremely concerned about that. Uh, so I said, you know, I didn't want to hurt his feelings, so I said, sure, I'll, uh, I'll come along and we'll, and we'll read the Word together. So for a couple of months, we read through John um, a couple of times, you know, a week. And in November, my senior year of high school, I prayed to receive the Lord that year. And from that point forward, my life changed. My life changed, you know, dramatically. You know, I'd grown up Methodist. We went to church every Sunday, just about. Um, but from that point on, it, you know, God really took hold of me. I went fast forward just a little bit, because since some of y'all, I don't know everybody here, but um, fast forward, I went to Auburn, War Eagle. Uh, went to Auburn and uh, met my wife down there, um, who was, of course, five minutes from my house, meaning that she was from Memphis as well, go 300 miles away, you meet a girl five minutes from the house. Uh, we have, uh, I went to veterinary school there, I went undergrad, and then Auburn Vet School, and um, we've got three kids, so two are in junior high, we've got a first grader as well. And I have a, um, I have a dog practice, a veterinary practice in Cairoville, um, and I just see dogs, because uh, I learned that being allergic to cat patients is not very good. <laughs> and it's... Uh, it's not real helpful to be allergic to your patients. You know, this would be like John Roberts being allergic to people. So uh, <laughs> just doesn't work out. <laughs> uh, and we joined Grace Van in the fall of 99 through the Killebrews, uh, Kim and Ken Killebrew. My wife uh, has been lifelong friends with Kim from high school. And um, so we, we joined in 99. And the last uh, few months, I've been honored to serve as one of the elders here on the, on sta- or on the church. So I appreciate that. Um, so usually about this time of year, not, not necessarily this week, but definitely last week, in the spring and summertime, we get a lot of phone calls. And um, I get a phone call, something like this. It says, hey, Dr. Kelsey, my dog is just freaking out over these thunderstorms. Is there anything you can do? And usually my response is something like, well, you know, how far in the next week do you want me to knock him out? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, some dogs absolutely go crazy over thunderstorms. I mean, I've seen them chew up the door frame. I mean, chew through a door frame. I've seen them go chew through a drywall. Uh, I've seen them scratch up the door and make their paws and, and nails bleed. I mean, it's just crazy. Some just go hide. You know, some get in the closet. I've got one. Seriously, I've got a Shih Tzu. 
you know, I don't admit it, but I do. I've got a Shih Tzu. And, uh, and he just, he just shakes, he sits there and just shakes and trembles. And um, it seems crazy that pets, that dogs can have anxiety, can have worries, okay? But they do. I mean, really, what is there to worry about, right? I mean, I wouldn't mind having the life of most of the, my clients' pets. You know, and I joke with them sometimes, the clients, I'll tell them, hey, don't tell anybody, but your dog's on doggy Prozac. Uh, y'all flip open to your, if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read a passage out of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Let me say this while you're getting there. What we're going to study today is anxiety and worry. And John MacArthur says this. He says that worry is likely the single greatest sin committed by Christians. Single greatest sin committed by Christians. All right, so I'm going to read the passage real quick. Verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many believing Christians have or are consumed with worry? I don't want anybody to raise their hand, though, by the way. Uh... It's a lot. Think about yourself. Are you, is there stuff that you're anxious and worried about? Three times in this passage, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And and Jesus here in this passage is gentle and compassionate towards us. So if you experience worry and anxiety as a believer, I hope today's message will will help you. So the the first part of this is that trouble exists in this world, Okay. Trouble exists in this world, and Jesus here recognizes it, right? I'll go back to my, my clients for just a second. And, um, you know, I bet when I talk about thunderstorms and dogs, I bet maybe not half the time, but a, a large percentage of the time, you know, I'll say, well, you know, there's this drug called Xanax. And they're like, oh, oh the, wait, the one I have? You can actually give that to a dog? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what size do you have? But there are, you know, there's a lot of people in, um, that, have, that have anxieties and they're on that. And in fact, actually, three years ago, I had to fire a client. That's not easy to do, but she kept losing her Xanax, you know? And after the third or fourth phone call from Walgreens, I kind of got a little worried. Um, so now, to go getting any ideas, you know, asking your vet, you know, hey, my dog's got this thunderstorm phobia. I think I need a little of this. So, but the Bible, God's Word is... God's word doesn't sugarcoat the realities of our life, 
right? He doesn't sugarcoat the realities of life here on earth. Sometimes life can be hard. Sometimes life, there are difficulties and, it's, and it can be harsh. You know, I'd say this, what other religion promises difficulty to its followers? I mean, if there's any evidence of the truthfulness of Christianity, that's one. There's a couple of verses, you know, in Psalm 23, it says, we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't sound real pleasant. You know, sign me up for that, right? How about Matthew 16, 24? Jesus says, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. Take up a cross. I mean, these, these Jews knew what a cross was. That wasn't too exciting. Galatians 6.2 says we're going to bear one another's burdens. So we obviously got, we have burdens and we're called to help each other out. So what do we worry over? I mean, you name it, basically. We worry over relationships. We worry over our marriages. We worry over our careers, our jobs, our kids, our doctor's visits, other family members. And Jesus readily admits that, hey, you've got legitimate concerns in this life. Verse 34, each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, there's not a soul on earth who has no anxiety. And we as Christians aren't really immune to it. And think about this. So why does Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, that's one of the most famous, um, that's one of the famous sermons that Jesus gives. Out of these two and a half, three chapters, he devotes nine verses to anxiety and worry. Okay? And why does he do this? Because first off, he knows we're going to worry. We're going to worry. Secondly, he understands and knows the power and control that worry has in our lives. You know, what happens is that worry starts to monopolize our thoughts. It monopolizes our thoughts. The devil uses worry, guys, to exercise tyranny, absolute tyranny over us. We take this thing that is much smaller and we start replicating it in our minds and recreating it to make it this larger thing. You know, I've got this microscope at the clinic so I can look at, you know, parasites and mites and all this kind of stuff. And it's got a 5X, it's got a 10X. I can flip it to 40 and I can go up to 100 times the size of this object. And that's what we do with our worries and these concerns. Sometimes we may only go five-fold with it. Sometimes, guys, we take these things that are troublesome in our lives and we make it 100 times as great as it would be or could be. I'll tell you a quick story. I, my brother um, was a he's, a, he's a lawyer and politician and I guess other things too. But anyway, so, but he was in law school and he went to Georgetown Law School, um, that, which is in D.C., very liberal school, but they have a, a good constitutional law program. And I'm, so I went up to visit him. This is about three months after 9-11. Now, I won't tell you his story. He's got a really cool story about 9-11, or I guess a unique story. He lives 13 blocks, lived 13 blocks from the Capitol. But I went to the, I just went and visited him. They had Bible study. You know, there's like a thousand law students and there's like seven in the Bible study, right? But this one, uh, one lady, this one girl who was a believer, she, this is again, three months later, probably January-ish, I think, she was... 9-11 somehow came up in the Bible study, and she just broke down in tears. She was distraught. Uh, I mean, she was shaken to the core. And I'm not trying to pick on her, but I'm just using this as an illustration that how quickly we as Christians abandon what we know to be true about God, who He is, and how we are loved by Him. That she was shaken. She was just shaken to the core. Now, think about a non-believer, though, real quick. Think about a non-believer in this world. They walk around 
honestly, fairly lonely. Think about the, the loneliness that they experience when they go through the trials and tribulations. I mean, I couldn't make it. I don't think I could survive now on this side of the coin of knowing God. Every, everything in their life is random, right? It's haphazard. It's fatalism. What will be will be, right? It's all by chance. That's their only two options. They have no sovereign God in heaven that rules over this earth like we do. Christians should believe differently. We should believe that God is sovereign and in control of everything from 9-11 to the doctor's report that you get. So let me ask you this. Do you face things that happen in your life as a Gentile or as a Christian? We should be responding radically different, radically different than the rest of the world. And I'm saying this for me as well. But too often we fall short. And here's a couple of reasons why. And it all has to do with sin. The ultimate cause of worry and anxiety in our life, as much as we don't want to hear it, Jesus says it, says it multiple times here. You of little faith. You of little faith. I mean, that ought to smack us right in the chin. And you might say in response, you know, well, I thought that I've got this faith, right? I've got this saving faith that is given to us. But Jesus isn't talking necessarily about this saving faith. He's referring to a deeper daily faith that relies upon God each and every day, that trusts God day in and day out under every circumstance of your life. So we have little faith when we allow God's saving faith to come so far and no further. It's like the the ocean and the waves on the seashore. The ocean goes so far and God said no further. And that's the way it's kind of with the saving faith is that we've only allowed faith to extend so far into our lives. Now, I'm going to ask a few questions that you can think of in your mind, but this is how a little faith believer would answer these questions. All right, so I'm going to say five or six questions. A little faith believer, how would you respond to this? This is how they might ask or answer. Here's a question, number one. Can God truly fix this relationship, this marriage? Maybe. Can God really heal this sickness or disease? Probably, but not for me. Do I believe God's promises in Scripture? Some of them. Is God really good? Maybe for others, but not to me. Does God really want to hear from me? No. Does God really care for me? Not really. That's a little faith answer. And the the sin of this is that anxiety and worry strikes a direct blow to God's love for us, It strikes a direct blow to his integrity in his scripture and the power he has in this world. Our anxiety, our worry strike a direct blow to God's love for us, his integrity in his scripture, and his power over this world. Therefore, Jesus says plainly and simply, you are of little faith if you worry over these things. The second part of the sinfulness of worry is when you're worrying, your mind is not on who? God, right? Your mind is not on God. Your mind is wrapped around this event, this concern, and our gaze is hampered towards God. Our gaze has been redirected. We've been distracted, and Satan wants that. Satan wants our minds to be distracted. You know, it's kind of the the thing that, you know, everybody says, don't text and drive. Well, don't worry and walk through life, okay? Don't worry and walk through life. The sin of worrying takes our gaze off our Lord And it challenges his promise to us 
to be our loving Heavenly Father who provides and cares for us. The other part of this um, is just the foolishness of worry. And Jesus talks about this, and we're going to look at a couple of verses. But, you know, I, I, I've told my staff this before, but probably one or two times a year, this is honest to God's truth, one or two times a year I get this recurring nightmare. And the nightmare goes like this. I get a, um, I get a letter in the mail from Auburn Vet School, and it says something to the effect of, um, you somehow missed this class and that you need to return to Auburn and pass it to really be licensed. This is true. I get this about once or twice a year. I drive down. I take the test. I fail the test. And then, I'm, I, I, you know, it's about 4.45 in the morning, right? And I'm kind of like, wait a second. Can I go to work? Am I licensed? In that haze of the early morning. But it, this just demonstrates the utter foolishness of our worries. And Jesus uses three different illustrations. Let's look, at your, um, look back at the Bible here. Look at verse 25. The foolishness of anxiety. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? All right, so think about this. Here he is. Again, Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his disciples and to um, these followers. And they literally live day to day. They literally live day to day. If the rain doesn't come, the crops don't grow. If the crops don't grow, there is famine, you know? So they really live this kind of way. And he's saying, if God, life is a gift from God, and if God gave you this life, will he not see to it that you will be sustained and enabled? You know, there's very few of us here, probably if any at all, who have ever worried about where their next meal comes from. Our worry is, where are we going to get the next meal which place? There's too many options, right? Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Are you not worth more than they are? Now, remember, Jesus is teaching on the side of the mountain, and it's kind of like he says, hey, God, uh, or God, cue the birds, and a little flock of birds come flying by, right? Imagine that. Picture it. He just says, look, look at the birds of the air. Consider the facts of God's provisions are staring us in the face every day. Just look around. If we paid some attention, you'll see God at work. The birds make no effort to plant, to tend to, to harvest anything. And they are provided by God. And notice the words here that Jesus says. He says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Think about this. Is God their Father? God is their creator, but not necessarily their father. Job 38, when, when God's replying to Job and his friends, he says, Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God? The young fowl, the young birds cry to God for food. Isn't that amazing? The animals cry to God for food and nourishment. And Jesus says, Aren't you worth more than they are? So why worry? Verse 28 through 30, I'm going to read just a bit of that about clothing. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. So again, think about who he's talking to. These people probably had what? How many garments do you think they had? How many clothes, set of clothes? You know, I just drove two baskets full of clothes to Goodwill yesterday morning. How many clothes do you think they have? Two or three, maybe at most, one cloak? 
And I'm not condemning us for having these things, but I'm condemning us for worrying about these things in the face of our abundance. Does that make sense? Solomon and all his wealth and splendor, one of the richest men in antiquity, he could not clothe himself like one of these lilies of the field. Isn't that amazing? You know, my wife had over um, a group of ladies, and pretty much I know when somebody's coming over because there are flowers that have been purchased uh, that are on the uh, little island in our, in our, or our dining room or whatever. You can pretty much guarantee. I'm like, who's coming over? But what, is it, what happens to them four or five days later? They're dead. They're wilted, right? And Jesus says, the lilies that are temporary, that are fleeting, that are passing, are clothed by God greater than Solomon and all his wealth. So, why should we worry? And look at verse 27. Verse 27 squeezed in here. It says, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Now listen, you know, this might go against or this might really uh, offend the, uh, the yoga goers and the people that work out and run and exercise. And I mean, those things are good. But my grandmother, who passed away a year and a half ago at the ripe age of 94, a great southern gentleman, you know, gentlewoman that ate whatever she wanted, you know, a solid 30 to 40 pounds above what she ought to have been, and played cards, and she, up until the very end, literally, she did whatever she wanted, and she had this great life. And I say that to say, a day and an hour has been set by our Heavenly Father. Our time is in God's hand, and worry is not going to extend it one second, Jesus says. So in these, ver- in these verses, Jesus says, hey, if you just pay attention a little bit and start looking around, every day you will see God's provision for all of these things. So why worry about yourself? Stop worrying. All right, so we kind of looked at the negative side of worry a little bit. So let's flip over the positive side and look at what we ought to do. And I have several examples um, Actually, I had to weed out one here, but um, just for time's sake. So think about this. Answer this for yourself. Does my response, ask this of yourself, does my response to the difficulties and challenges of life make evident to my family and to others that I am a believer who trusts daily in my heavenly Father? Does my response to the difficulty and challenges of life make evident to, to my family and others that I'm a believer? Well... My first example, which I'll just briefly go over, was Abraham and Isaac. And that was the story that Isaac, you know, it's, you know, where is the, the sacrifice? And Abraham trusts God enough that God's going to provide a sacrifice. But the second one is this one. We'll hone in on a little bit more. And this is a kind of exciting one. This is kind of a cool one. It's the story of Elisha and his servant. Elisha and his servant in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha, basically the story is, Elisha gave help to the Israelites and said, hey, the king of Aram is going to attack you, so don't go this way, all right? And king of Aram catches wind that Elisha, the prophet, has helped him out, okay? And so that's where we find ourselves. So king of Aram sends a great army with horses and chariots after Elisha. And it's kind of like this. The story goes like this. The servant kind of wakes up in the morning and he throws open the curtains. He's kind of like... Wait a second. Is that, wait, is that an army of chariots that are surrounding this city? 
Here's the story, or here's a few verses. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I mean, panic-stricken, right? And Elisha answers, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The first words out of Elisha's mouth, do not fear. How would you like to wake up every morning, every day, with God whispering to your, in your ear, car, do not fear. This is my day, and you are mine. Elisha is calm. He's confident in the face of this overwhelming odds and discouraging situation because Elisha knows God. And Elisha knows who God is and that God is for him. A reminder of that verse in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? The second story I'll tell you about is the Mary and Martha story. So a little more mundane, kind of bring it down a couple of 10 notches here. And the story of Mary and Martha, it goes like this. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted, all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus here gently rebukes Martha because she's so distracted. Are you so distracted? How did my son do on that science test? Is my daughter hanging out with the right, the right crowd? Is your grandson a safe driver? Is the doctor report going to be favorable? Is my job secure? Jesus says, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. In our verses, he, said, he goes at the end, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about, will be added unto you. All right, so now I'm going to hit five or six things real quick. I guess the six things. What should we do in the face of worry? And we're going to go through these pretty quick, and then we'll wrap up. First is, first and foremost, fix your gaze on God. Fix your, fa- your, fa- your gaze on Christ. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. The nearer we live to God, the less distracted we'll be by the world. We ought to have this laser beam focus on Jesus. So you have little faith. If you do this, do not worry. So number two, so first, fix your gaze on Christ. Secondly, realize your sonship. Realize who you are in Christ. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, So if you're a son or a daughter of the Lord, God cares for you. God is interested in you. God cares about your situation that you're going through. Your name, even even your name is written on the palm of his hand. It's right there before him. 
So you have little faith. Stop worrying. Three, cry to God. Psalm 34 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them all, or delivers them out of all their troubles. I hope you believe that to be true. We could cry out, Abba, Father. We got this access to God that no one else in the world has. Nobody has access to the Father like we do. You know, my kids, you know, maybe I'm watching TV or something, and they'll yell, Dad, Dad. You know, it's like the fourth or fifth time, I'm like, dang it. I guess it's important. But not with our Heavenly Father. One cry to God, and God hears. He knows. The fourth thing about improving your anxiety is that you need to purchase a dog. (laughs) It has been proven to lower stress levels. A bad plug. Number four, meditate. Meditate on God. Did you know that you're a professional meditator? You are. We are. I am. Worry is meditation focused in the wrong direction. Worry is meditation focused in the wrong direction. So when you're experiencing struggles and anxiety, meditate on who God is. All right, so here's a couple of things. Who, who is God, right? Well, he's creator. Again, in Job 38, if you want to feel the power of God, read through Job, Job, or God's response to Job and his friends. Job 38 says this. I'm going to read a few verses. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determines its measurements. Surely you know, you smart men. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? Were you there? Everything you see around us was created by God. So that's who God is. God is owner. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Everything we have, God owns. Every necessity of life is under God's authority. Third, he's ruler. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Your hand or power, within your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. God is in complete control of everything. So you have little faith. Stop worrying. Fifth, cast your anxiety upon him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast it like a heavy net laden with fish or with water. These men cast. They knew what that was. It was to hurl it towards God. It wasn't just to just kind of plink it over. I mean, cast it. It was heavy. This burden is heavy. Cast it upon the Lord because God is great and he can, he can tackle these challenges that we have. Number six, and this is the final one, don't carry the burdens of yesterday or tomorrow. Matt, at the, at the end of this verse, verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't let yesterday's burdens weigh you down today. Don't let tomorrow's worries shackle you from living, for living for God today. Leave the future in God's hand. And remember, although our concerns may be new every day, Jesus and God are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So you have little faith, stop worrying. And wrapping up here, ask yourself again, does the world see you resting quietly 
confidently and peacefully in every circumstance of life. If, if they don't, then do this. Say this to yourself. I'm going to take this difficult thing, this concern, this challenge that I'm experiencing in life that would normally cause me to worry, and I'm going to put it in the context of everything I know about God to be true and my relationship to him as a son or daughter. All right, I'm going to take this thing that is truly challenging me and I'm going to put it in the context of who God is and who I am in Christ. Then I will re-examine the matter in light of this process and respond in such a way that my faith in God will be evident to all. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. We sing this here. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Since God is who he is, then nothing in your life justifies you worrying anymore. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, First and foremost, Father God, forgive us. Forgive me for sinning in the way of worrying, Lord. Father God, things do come about in our lives, Father God, that, that are concerning and troublesome for us, Father God. But help us to handle them more godly. Help us to handle them in the light of the knowledge of who you are and who we are in Christ, Lord. Father God, challenges are going to come, Father, and I pray that you would help our families in the world see us differently because we respond differently we respond more biblically and more uh, godly. Father God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this classroom of Bloodworth and uh, the truth that is proclaimed here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right.